Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. It's a uh, monumental day in the United States, September 11th, 2012, a day that we remember for uh, the largest terrorist attack upon our nation 11 years ago, and in addition, the largest massacre of innocents by gunfire and knives by active Latter-day Saints at Mountain Meadows 150 years ago, both occurred on, 155 years ago, uh, both occurred on this day. So uh, we praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in his ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. Every week we meet up at the University of Utah to uh, focus on the word of God, which helps us focus on God himself. We meet at 10 a.m. and then again at 2.30. Go to www.campus with little hyphens in between each of the letters.com for more information. Now, we have never missed gathering together uh, for the purpose of getting to know God and studying his word, but we're making an exception to this on Sunday, September 23rd from 1 to 3.30 p.m. Dr. Norman Geisler, perhaps one of the most important biblical scholars and uh, Christian minds of our day, will be visiting Utah. And for this reason, we will not gather at campus in the afternoon. Again, we will not gather at the University of Utah on the afternoon of Sunday, September 23rd, so people can take advantage of uh, going and listening to this important visitor to our state. Again, Dr. Norman Geisler will speak on how to interpret the Bible and dealing with alleged errors in the Bible at Grace Community Church Grace Community Bible Church in Sandy, Utah, located at 11592 South, 1300 East Sandy, on Sunday, September 23rd, 1 to 3.30 p.m. Go! Who cares what plans you have made or what church you attend? I had someone tell me the other day, well, you know, it's kind of strange for you to let your church out to go to another church. No, it's not. It's not strange at all. That's a great event. That's a, 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 a faith-building it's an encouraging event, and, you know, I would do that every week if something good was going on. We don't have, it's the body of Christ, you see. You know, I got to say, you know, in this state, a lot of people get really scared. A lot of pastors get afraid to let their uh, congregates go out to other churches. They're afraid they're going to, hey, if someone goes and visits this church and sees Norman Geisler and really likes how that church operates, and they like it better than what we're doing, stay there. It, stay. It's good for you. We don't care. No one should care. Because people should go where they're going to feel best. So support this event. Get out there. Go Leave your church. Even if your pastor says, never attend another church. Don't listen to it. Go see Norman Geisler and learn something about the Bible. All right? Attendance is free. Okay. Tonight, right after the program, uh, another segment of Transitions is going to air right here on TV20 following moi. We have some dear friends who have come out of Mormonism. They have a son who... Uh, has struggled with religion since, and I ran into them on Sunday, and they told me that their son tuned into Transitions last week uh, when it aired, and it really spoke to him, uh, praise God. So uh, now the trans Transitions people have really gone to a lot of work to put this thing together, uh, a lot of expense, and it's a great tool. Uh, we all care about people who have discovered the truth about Mormonism and are coming out of it, but they've, when they come out, you have to treat them in a specific way sometimes because they're not used to the Christian culture and all that goes on. So these guys have done something concrete to help churches and pastors and other believers effectively assist people 
uh, as they come out and in the process. So tune in right after our program to another outstanding segment of Transitions right here on TV20. Last week, Derek and Danita dumped me into their car and drove me down to Cedar City to speak at Calvary Chapel down there with Pastor Joe Carroll and to interview with Crossover Radio 88.9. We want to thank all who came near and far to attend this event. Um, if you live within driving distance of uh, Calvary Chapel, Cedar City, we wholeheartedly endorse them as the church to check out in the Cedar City area. So do that. On Friday nights, Bishop Earl interviews people. He's been interviewing a lot of people lately, and his program is called X-Files, The X-Files. Uh, check that out. Friday night from 8 to 8.30, every Friday night, you can hear the story of somebody who has come out with Bishop Earl interviewing them. Really good program. Additionally, AM820 replays Heart of the Matter every Sunday from 1 to 2. Check out AM820 in the Salt Lake City, Ogden area. This Saturday, September 15th, I have the pleasure of speaking at a large outdoor festival. Uh, Going to be in Spanish Fork. They're calling it the Good News Celebration. Doors open at 10 a.m. and the event will run until 7 p.m. The speakers list looks like this. I think we have a graphic for it. Ba-boom. There it is. Uh, we have opening prayer at 10. Kentucky Gospel Group, 10.30. Hands of Praise at 11. Doris Hansen from Polygamy, What Love Is This? will be speaking at 11.30. Bob Stringham from the Christian Motorcycle Association will be jumping over 40 buses. Just kidding. Uh, John Cower will be, from Speaking of Eternity, will be speaking. Carl Moore will spread unity through dance. I might participate in that with an interpretive dance of uh, uh, Doris Hansen's speech. Uh, I will, just kidding. Sean McCraney will be speaking at 2. Praise Band at 3. Dennis Higley at 3.30. Pastor James Thompson at 4.30. And Adams Road Band at 5. So uh, you come on down. It's going to be a major festival with all kinds of food, games, uh, fist fights. Uh, just kidding again. Boy, I'm going to get in trouble by the people who are putting this on. No, it's really going to be a good event, uh, and we hope you'll attend. I think it's on the screen, but it's 1800 West, 7300 South, Spanish Fork. Admission is free. Want more information? Go to www.goodnewscelebration.com. That's this Saturday, almost all day out there. The longer I examine Mormonism, its doctrines and its leaders, and of late, some of the things that some prominent LDS people say and do the more I am convinced it's not just a little bit off from Christianity, I think it's antithetical. I think it literally is antithetical to sound biblical uh, teachings and doctrine. Let me give you a couple of instances just from this week alone, all right? Somebody recently handed me a copy of uh, LDS faithful member, a guy named Mitt Romney and his LDS wife, uh, who is also LDS, Parade Magazine dated August 26, 2012, they interviewed them, and the interviewer asked one of the questions, how has tithing shaped your view of how we treat each other? Now, I don't know where the parade interviewer got that question from. It seems rather staged to me. But uh, anyway, the question was asked, and old Sister Romney, she literally said, quote, I love tithing. When Mitt and I give that check, I actually cry, end quote. Um, her response plays right into the emotional basis upon which Mormonism plays constantly. Uh, and, and you know, when someone cries, it's almost al always 
psychologically about themselves. Almost always. They're crying about their inner feelings, and so there's this emotional tap-in. Now, I have to admit, uh, LDS member Mitt Romney was funny, uh, but abjectly void of hum uh, humility because he's added, so do I, but for a different reason. <laughs> uh, but in terms of the question, uh, what's it like when you pay the tithing? Uh, the term tithing is an Old Testament construct misapplied and abused by Mormons and Christian pastors alike. I will never back off from the position that tithing is misappropriated as a term in the body or in Mormonism. Anybody who uses that word has misappropriated a word from the Old Testament and applied it to the new. Um, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 9-7 makes that really clear. But more importantly, the New Testament gives little direction to believers on how to give. Uh, in fact, the most direct directive is there that you're seeing on your screen that believers should be cheerful givers, happy, hilarious givers. Uh, and you know, it's because we realize that God, uh, quoting uh, Haggai 2.8, he says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, so when we give, we are really giving what God has given us. We're just giving it. It's... So there's no tears necessary, and there's no oh, grudging, oh, I hate to give that money. Uh, it's, it's you give, and if you can't do it cheerfully, don't do it. Do not give, whether it's campus or another. If you're not giving it cheerfully, don't give. Now, that scares a lot of pastors, but that's how it should come, from the heart, okay? So that's the first thing, you know, the, the approach on tithing. The second one, uh, in a totally unrelated example, uh, 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 Apostle Jeffrey Holland um, spoke the other night, and our friend the Wah uh, was taking copious notes and texting them to us. And Holland told the listening audience that he possessed the apostolic right to pronounce a blessing upon them. And here is a direct quote from what the supposed apostle said Let us Latter day Saints be the leaven in the bread and the salt of the earth. Salt of the earth, fine. But the leaven in the bread? This guy says he has the apostolic authority and he literally tells the members of the Mormon church that let them be the leaven in the bread? Has he ever read the Old and New Testament? Does he understand what that means at all in terms of what the Bible says? For instance, uh, look what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6.16. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In Mark 8:15, he says, and he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. See, the problem with leaven is this, it's yeast. And here's the picture. When it is mixed in with meal, I learned this from Derek actually, that uh, him being a pizza aficionado that he is, that when yeast is put into the flour, what it does is it causes the salt and sugars to go in and start eating the yeast. And when they eat the yeast, they produce a gas, and that gas infiltrates through the whole thing and puffs it up. And that puffing up of the bread was verboten by God in the Old Testament. I mean, that's why the Jews always eat unleavened bread. That's why when you take communion, you take unleavened bread. You don't eat leavened bread because it's symbolic of pride and hypocrisy and being puffed up. 
I mean, listen to what Paul wrote. Just look at this quote in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. He says, your glorying is not good. Holland, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. A real apostle, a true apostle of the Lord, would never, ever, in light of what the Bible says, tell believers that they uh, should be leaven in the bread. Never. And so what does that tell you about these guys who call themselves apostles? With that, how about a moment from the Word? John 14 10 last week tonight turn to John 14 15 as we just go through the Bible uh, for a tremendous summary statement from the Lord uh, it's great he says you ready very simply if you love me keep my commandments short beautiful phrase right there and in the Mormon Christian debate this is a tremendous passage of scripture because it acts as a two-edged sword, double-edged sword that cuts and divides between the Christians and the Mormons right off the bat. Every now and again, people will write into the program or they'll call and they'll say, you know, Sean, people just, just don't get to say, I have faith in Jesus and that's it. They just say, I have faith and they're saved and they don't, they don't have to do anything else. They don't have to keep his commandments. And you know what? I would agree. I would agree. Yet yeah, you got to keep his commandments. Um, but the real question remains is, what are his commandments? Now, if you were to ask a Mormon and they were honest and, and you know, speaking truth at that moment, uh, they would usually say something like, well, you got to have, these are the first principles and ordinances of the, of the Mormon gospel. Have faith, re repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the, whole, the Holy Ghost by a priesthood uh, person in the LDS church laying their hands on you. And after this, it usually takes some prompting but again, if the Latter-day Saint is, office, uh, is honest, they will say, uh, and, and there's a few other things you need to do too. And you've got to say, well, what, what are those? What commandments are those, Latter-day Saint? And, well, you've got to uh, love God and you've got to love your neighbor. Fine, you've got to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, well, uh, you've got to pay tithing. And, you know, just do everything that he commanded us to do, they'll say. So you're like, well, uh, okay, what else? And you've got to push a little bit. And then Latter-day Saint will say, well, you know, he also commanded us to follow the prophet and, and, and to sustain our LDS leaders and to fulfill our callings and to be morally clean and physically compliant with LDS standards and to do our home and visiting teaching and to get endowed and to be sealed for time and all eternity in the temple. And, uh, you know, these are all his commandments and, and to obey their health codes and don't drink coffee or tea and, or smoke guns or drink beer and, and a host of other actions and attitudes the LDS have taken and labeled as Christ's commandments. They have heaped, and literally, it is like, it's like a, a, we could cover the table with the amount of commandments they heap upon their members, and they say, these are his commandments, okay? So go with me back to the Bible for a minute. Here in John 15, Jesus says plainly, if you love me, keep my commandments. You got that, bottom line. Contextually and in this dispensation of grace, this is what we are commanded to do by Christ. In John 6, 28, 29, some Jews came to Jesus and said, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? 
And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. That's it, folks. That is the command. That's the first command. Believe on him, on Christ. That is the first commandment, to believe on him who he has sent. Have faith. Notice that the passage reads that you believe on him whom he has sent and not believe in him. You don't believe in Christ, you believe on Christ. And there's a major difference. It's because in the Greek, and, and it, it, the Greek, there is a pronominal, pronominal antecedent omitted and the preposition ice is retained. And you know what all that means? I had to study it out myself. It means that when everything is said and done, that means Jesus is whom we believe on and not in. And then we don't look to him and believe in him and then do our works. We believe on him to have done everything for us. See, that's the difference when you look at the Greek. And again, this is the work of God that you believe on Jesus whom the Father sent. We rely on him, his work. We make... Uh, uh, him Lord, he, we make him king of our lives. Now, after Jesus ascended and sat down on the right hand of the Father as our eternal high priest uh, there in the Holy of Holies, and the Holy Spirit fell here on earth, day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, uh, the other commandment, which is now possible for believers, which Jesus gave, a new commandment, now possible because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is that we love. Okay, So we believe and we love. Those are the commandments. So if you love Jesus, you're going to believe on him, on him, and you are going to love God and neighbor, okay? And look at 1 John uh, 3.23. It makes it clear. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on, there's that on again in the Greek, the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Latter-day Saints always want to say that they are Christian, and when we challenge that claim, they don't understand why, and they become indignant. This is one of the main reasons. They don't believe on him, they believe in him, and they think his commandments will cover this table when it is just to believe and love. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we uh, seek you and pray for your uh, spirit upon all who are involved in this production with our audience members, wherever they may be now, live in the studio, television land, or watching recordings now or 20 years from now, Lord. Be with those who are seeking for truth, that you will reach in and touch their heart, that they'll have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that feel that they may be converted, Lord, and you will heal them of all the bondage and burden that they carry. We love you and we pray for this. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been working through page by page through the Book of Mormon and last week finished pointing out the odd scriptures that were in 1 Nephi. That's the first book of the Book of Mormon. Uh, I received an email from a Mormon who said that it appeared I was struggling with my presentation of the Book of Mormon facts last week. And he then said, there's two books you should read about the Book of Mormon so you can regain a testimony of how true it is. And I wrote him back and admitted that his perception of struggle was true. Uh, we had a very difficult technical show last week, but the struggle had nothing to do with the contents of the Book of Mormon. So don't misread that. Nevertheless, when you're constantly in, like the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, like I've been over the past year and more, and studying it and, 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 and parsing it and looking at things, it's almost like 
being, and, and you're a Christian, it's almost like being a, a concert pianist who is subject to rap. You're dying when you got to be in that stuff day in and day out. Uh, it, it's like eating, you're, you're a health nut, and it's like being forced to go eat fried food. Uh, it, it's just horrible. And so maybe it is taking a little bit of a toll. So I'm going to step back and do something that might be a little bit more satisfying today, uh, tonight, and next week in the Mormon Christian debate. And what, I'm, what I've done is I've culled through my personal Bible, the Old Testament tonight, and I've just picked out passages that indict Mormonism. And I'm of the opinion that God has warned us through his word persistently and long ago how to detect counterfeits. And he has included warnings in his word. And I am personally convinced that he certainly had Mormonism in mind when some of these warnings were put to uh, Holy Writ. So tonight I'm going to go through the, uh, the Old Testament and next week the New. First passage, Exodus 32, 13 through 14. It says this. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. That ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever uh, doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among the people. The reason I show you that passage is because the LDS claim to obey and keep a Sabbath. First, it has nothing to do with them. God did not make a covenant with Gentiles. He made it with the Jews. Secondly, they're not being put to death when they walk into Carl's Jr. on Sunday and buy the, uh, the food. So uh, we show that passage to show the idiocy of such thinking. Second, the LDS claim childbearing brought on by the fall of Adam is a good thing, that it was part of God's plan of salvation, and it was only possible that people could be born, that a woman could bear a child, if Adam transgressed, you see? And if this is so, why does God say the following about a woman who is given birth in Leviticus 12, 6 through 7? And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb in the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, unto the priest who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her for bearing a child. And she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. So we have there God saying, listen, you're going to bear a child. That means you're bearing it because of sin of Adam. There must have been another uh, uh, way that the child would have been born in the garden if there wasn't a fall. And so, but because it came by virtue of sin and the shedding of blood, now they're offering a sin offering, now they're offering atonement, now they're sacrificing sheep so that the woman can be cleansed. How does that fit into the LDS purview that Adam needed to sin so children could be born on this uh, earth? There's no more graphics, so listen closely as I read. Joseph not only married a couple sets of mother-daughter teams, so to speak, while living as a supposed prophet of the restoration, but he said that God told him to take these women, a mother and daughter, to wife. But Leviticus 20:14 plainly states that, quote, if a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burnt with fire, both he and they. There shall be no wickedness among you. 
Deuteronomy 6.4 presents a whole bunch of problems to the LDS. It's known as the great Shema in, for the Jews. It says here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Deuteronomy 6.4. The LDS say Jesus' name is Jehovah. That's his literal, real name, Jehovah. And it's used in the Old Testament. And that God the Father's name is literally Elohim. Just like my name's Sean, the Father's name's Elohim. Jesus' name is Jehovah. Uh, and that they're separate beings, separate gods. But this passage describing the one God reads in the Hebrew this way. Shema O Yisrael, Yehovah Elohim is one Yehovah. Proving God is one uh, who has the personal name God of Yahweh and the title of Elohim. That perfectly proves it. If there's an LDS out there watching, one of you linguists, one of you BYU professors, call in and explain to me how you could call God's personal uh, pronoun name Elohim, the Father, and Jesus' name uh, Yahweh, and then explain how the great Shema reads the way it does. Okay, there are many passages uh, in the Old Testament the Lord has given discerning lying, deceptive, false prophets. Here are a few of the best. Deuteronomy 13.1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign of the wonder comes to pass, wherefore he spake unto thee, says, and he says, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God. Okay? Deuteronomy 18.22 it says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follows not, nor comes to pass... That is the thing which the Lord has not spoken, but the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. In another place it says he is not a prophet. Now listen, and it says in another place he should be put to death. There are plenty of prophecies Joseph Smith came out with that did not come true. Does that scripture apply? In Jeremiah 14, 14 it says, Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing for naught and the deceit of their heart. And Ezekiel 13, 2 through 3, 6 through 9, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts, hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Verse 6, they have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Lord saith, and the Lord saith not sent them, and they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. Have ye not seen a vain vision, and have ye not spoken a lying divination? Whereas ye say, The Lord said it, albeit I spoke not, Therefore saith the Lord God, because you have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore behold, I am against you, saith the Lord God. And my hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and divine lies, 
They shall not be in the assembly of my people. Neither shall be, they be written in the writing of my house of Israel. Go to utlm.org. Read about the false prophecies of Joseph Smith. And uh, come out of that church. And come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. These words were not vain. Any prophet who comes and says something and it doesn't come true is false. And he was one of them. The uh, LDS love to call Utah Zion. Now, uh, they have Zion's Bank, Zion's National Park, Zion's Security, Sounds of Zion. The LDS sing uh, about Utah and their gospel. Uh, someone who accepts their gospel as coming to Zion, even if they're living in Switzerland, and also that Utah is Zion. They have a song called Israel, Israel, God is Calling. And the LDS sing Israel, Israel, God is Calling, as if the Jews, whoever is Israel, need to come. And they say, calling thee from lands of woe, Babylon the great is falling. God shall all her towers o'erthrow. Come to Zion, come to Zion. Ere his floods of anger flow, or because his floods of anger will flow. Come to Zion, come to Zion, ere his floods of anger flow. But Samuel, 2 Samuel 5, 7, tells us where Zion is and what it is very plainly. It says, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion... The same is the city of David. That's what it says. That's Jerusalem. That is Zion. Right there. The same is the city of David. Not Utah. Okay? The LDS claim God is housed in a body of flesh and bone, but Solomon, knowing the awesomeness of God, the true and living God, when he was contemplating building a temple that his dad had provided all the materials for, he said in 2 Chronicles 2.6, but who is able to build him a house, seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a house? So Solomon, who knew the true and living God, said the heaven and heavens of heaven can't contain God. Joseph said he's in a body of flesh and bone like mine. Psalms 10, 16 says, the Lord is king forever and ever. This is another play, another play on the word Jehovah, the Lord. Look it up, Psalms 10, 16. Um, and you know what it means, really? The Lord is king forever and ever in the Hebrew. That name, Lord, to the Mormons is Jesus. They would say Jesus is forever and ever, if they were to translate that, okay? In the Hebrew, it's Jehovah is from Aulam, that means the vanishing point in Hebrew, to the odd which is a uh, perpetuation point. So from the vanishing point to the endless uh, perpetuation point, that is who uh, Yahweh is. That is who Jehovah is, okay? The Mormons say he's Jesus, but in the same breath they say he was created. Doesn't make any sense. Psalm 1827 says, God is the Lord. Elohim is the Jehovah. Again, another play on that thing. You can uh, read about that. And yet another indictment on the LDS position of who God is, who Jesus is, and the three-in-one nature of God is Isaiah 44, 6, which says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. I challenge any Latter-day Saint to explain that to me using your doctrines and teachings on who Jesus is in the Old Testament, who you say the Father is in the Old Testament. Read that passage, Isaiah 44, 6, and explain it to me. How about one more? I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, thou hast not known me, that they may know 
from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. In the book of Jeremiah, we're getting there. We are given some great insights into how God views people who think there is power in a building made with hands. Listen to Jeremiah 7.4 LDS. Turn to that and read it. Trust not in lying words, it says, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. These are lying words. Great passage. The temple of the Lord compared to his son is nothing. And you have to understand that. And how more is Mormonism described? I wish we had a graphic for this. It's really amazing. Listen to this. I believe this is perfectly describes Mormonism. And we're going to end with this. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth, trusteth in man, and makes flesh his arm, and whose heart departs from the Lord. He shall be like a heath in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, can't understand good, can't understand truth, but shall inhabit parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. Sounds like a place you've seen or heard of before. Obviously, there was no means, this is no means exhaustive, but it just is to help you see that um, in the Old Testament, there were prophecies and speeches that pertain to Mormonism as it was founded and as it is today. Next week, one more week, we're going to go through the New Testament. There are a ton, and I'm only going to pick out the very best, and they will blow your mind about what they say relative to uh, biblical Christianity and Mormonism. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First-time callers, please. Uh, caller wants to know your view on the controversy about caffeinated drinks and BYU. Uh, uh, I think that uh, Mormonism is trying very hard to be, uh, you know, really up there and cool now, I guess. And so they've made this statement that caffeinated drinks have never been against the word of wisdom. And I think it's all just, it's stupidity. I think, you know, there's people starving. There are, there are all kinds of problems. And we're talking about caffeinated drinks at Brigham Young University. That's what they're like. It's like they focus on the things that don't matter. They're shining the brass on the deck of the Titanic. I mean, we have got major problems with salvation, with temple rights, with false gospels, with people suffering, and they're talking about caffeine and a soft drink. That's the problem with them, is they focus on the, on the minors, uh, they major in the minors, and they minor in the majors. Okay, uh, I think I said that right. We're going to go to Jacko in Missouri on line two. Jacko, you're on Heart of the Matter. John. I just want to tell you how much I absolutely appreciate you. I, I go to a, a Book of Mormon study to try and ask questions. And you know what? I seem to, to fail at being patient. I am so much like you. It drives me nuts. And um, <laughs> I, I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> it, it is a compliment. Man, I get so fired up for the Lord. And you know what? Leaving there tonight, them telling me they felt bad for me, that I was a spirit of contention while trying to maintain my patience, like... You know, I don't know why I keep doing it, but it's like, I love it, but I hate it. I love the Mormons, but I absolutely hate the fact they're so, they don't have a foundation in the Word, and trying to explain to them they're saved by grace is so far over their head, it just, it breaks me, and I just want to thank you, because I come home Tuesday after that, and I see your show, 
and I have a reason to not give up because you've been doing this since 2006, and I've only started in 2008, but because of you just not giving up, being that example, just like Christ didn't give up on us, man, we can't give up on them, and I appreciate everything you do, and that's all I've got. Hey, Jacko, I appreciate you. Keep going. I know it's tough. Uh, you know, I don't know if you heard. Let me quickly remind you that it is loving to bring out the truth. That is loving. And sometimes even strongly to bring out the truth. That's why Jesus, who was love and cannot be accused of not being loving, did things that were harsh. The LDS are the ones who are trying to rewrite what love looks like, and they think it means just accept and embrace everybody. That was not the love Jesus showed us. He called, in Matthew 23, he called the hypocrites, he called them vipers. He, he cleared the, uh, the temple with, a, with a, uh, a whip. He got angry, and it was out of love. And so sometimes, those, you know what happens to Latter-day Saints, they've been trained. If you hear something that doesn't coincide with your beliefs, it's going to make you feel bad, and you're going to sense the spirit has left. What actually it is, is the Holy Spirit testifying to them that they have been lied to, they feel bad about that, and they think it's you. So hang in there, my brother. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Okay, Jacko. Take care. Bye-bye. We are going to go to Kimball and Bountiful. Uh, Kimball, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Um, I I talked to you the last time I was talking about God having the body, Jesus. And, Did you call um, last week? Yeah, and um, you said that I was probably LDS. Well, I'm, I don't believe in Mormonism. Are I you was, LDS? I was, I was brought up LDS, but I'm you not. You were brought up. Yet. Well, the upbringing of LDS let me know that you knew about Mormonism because of the way you talked. So when you actually were talking to me, you were you were making the audience believe that you were really searching and didn't have much of an understanding of LDS doctrine, but the way you speak, Kimball, lets me know that you had experience in Mormonism. Well, I, I, I can't say I haven't had experience, but I don't know. I don't know all about everything like that, what goes on in the temple and all those things. Those things I don't know. I don't know about. But I, I know I believe in you, and I know that I'm sensitive. Maybe I shouldn't be sensitive, but I am, and I'm not. I'm not a Mormon. I don't believe in Mormonism. What do you believe in, Kimball? Well, I, I'm, learning, I'm learning from you, and I'm learning from the shows that I see, and, and I'm, I'm learning. I believe in God right now. I, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe in the Bible. But I, but I was calling to wonder what you would say about this. I said years ago in a sacrament meeting, because I think the, the, the Father doesn't get enough glory. And I said, everything was created spiritually first by the Father. Everything is spirit to the Father. The Father is spirit, and the Spirit is the Father's. There's only one true God. And I don't, I don't think the Father gets enough glory. I think that Jesus glorified the Father, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And... Uh... Uh, but Jesus is our mediator to the Father. And, and so we will understand the Father far more. And uh, we seek to please the Father. But we do it because of the work of Christ. Christ came. The Father sent Christ. He so loved the world. But I want to correct you on something. And I'm trying to find the passage. The, the Bible makes it clear. And this is a big difference, Kimball, between Mormonism and Christianity. 
Paul says everything was first created physically and then spiritually. Paul makes that very clear. Now, Mormonism teaches the opposite. Joseph taught everything was, taught, uh, was created spiritually and then physically. And you just, you just recited Joseph's stance here on the, on the show. But that's not correct. That's not correct when it comes to us here on this earth. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, that, that does help. And, and uh, I, I like watching your show and, and learning. And thank you for your understanding. Are you able to go to a church, Kimball? Am I able to go to a church? Yeah. There's a good Christian church near here that's called Reliance, and I like the sounds of that. I haven't gone yet, but, but I'm thinking about it. Yeah, you should go to that church, introduce yourself to the pastor, and tell him your, your history, and tell him you're seeking, and I think you will find that pastor will, will give you a lot of great insights, and he might help clear up a lot of things where you might, might not be in the forest anymore, but out, outside in the clearing. Okay, sounds good, Sean. All right, Campbell, take care. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, phone lines, we have one line open. Now it's not, but oh, now we do it again. 801-973-TV20. Uh, Listen, to, you got to hear this. This is on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints letterhead. European Area Presidency. It's to the 70s Stake Mission District Presidents, Bishops, Branch Presidents in Denmark, Finland, Norway, Sweden, United Kingdom, Ireland, Germany, Australia, German-speaking Switzerland, and the Netherlands. Dear brethren, assisting those who struggle with faith and testimony. This letter was sent out to all of them. The technology and modern communication tools of our day enable members more than ever before to access both positive and negative information about the church. Unfortunately, some choose to dwell on half-truths and inaccurate information regarding the church, its history, its leaders, and often results in a crisis of faith uh, and testimony. We invite priesthood leaders to work patiently, and they go on and say, hey, we've enclosed this thing to help you understand. And this is what this thing says. Uh, the following observations may be helpful as you work with members who are struggling with faith and testimony particularly as a result of being exposed to information that discredits the church, its leaders, and its history. There are four bullet points. This is what the LDS leadership is telling the people in Europe who are finding out the truth. The church does not hide historical facts. The first line's a lie. It's a lie. Anybody who's LDS, get one of your manuals this Sunday... Whatever you're studying, Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, and look to see what they teach. Do they teach you that Joseph had 33 uh, secret wives? Do they teach you all this stuff? They don't. They lie. Uh, in fact, it makes every effort to be open and honest about its past and current actions. The Internet and digital records now make information about the church available to many who, because of language and other limitations, may not have previously known about this information. This does not mean that such information was hidden by the church. It was simply not readily available. Our audience is laughing because they know. Joseph Smith and the prophets who succeeded him were not wicked or deceiving men. Joseph did not become a fallen prophet. He, along with the other prophets of this dispensation, had human weaknesses. Joseph often admitted to this, and the scriptures sometimes confirmed that God was not pleased with him. 
However, he and succeeding prophets worthily exercised their priesthood keys and led the church to the time as directed by God through revelation. The same is true of Thomas S. Monson today. Obtaining or regaining a testimony of Joseph Smith, listen to this, getting a testimony of Joseph Smith as a prophet of God and the restoration of the gospel that occurred through him is and always will be a spiritual quest. You know what that means? It means... Uh, that you have to seek Joseph through spiritual means. It means don't seek him through the facts of history. Don't look at what utlm.org says. Don't read books that have researched. Don't read Fawn Brody's No Man Knows My History. Don't read uh, Grant Palmer's Insider's View of Mormon Origins. Don't read those. You have to try to discover Joseph Smith through spiritual means. That means you pray, you say, God, let me know Joseph was true, and you're supposed to that way determine him. And you know what? That is opposite of how God lets people know truth. God provided us with his word. He gave it to us in writing. We open it, we research it, we read it, and from this, we can say, okay, this is what God is presenting to me. I am now going to see if I'm going to place my faith in it. You see? Hitler, uh, who was it? Uh, what was his name? One of Hitler's leaders, uh, almost, almost came to me, one of Hitler's, Goring, I believe, said of Hitler, you cannot know Hitler through the mind. You can only know Hitler through the heart. And it's the same thing. The heart is so wicked. It can make you believe anything possible. And the Mormons have thrived on it. That's why Ann Romney cries when she gives her tithing. It's her heart feeling like she's doing something so magnanimous that she's in this position. You know, I don't, Christians don't cry that often over spiritual things. They cry over their trials and troubles. But spiritual things are a matter of faith. And they are a matter of, of fact. And then we take the fact, we look at them, and we go from there. So these guys are real. They must be, they must be suffering. I think they're hemorrhaging. Because all this stuff is getting out there and they're starting to run. So uh, go after it. Uh, and I think that's the best stuff. Okay, let's go to um, Shirley in Salt Lake City. Shirley, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, great. Thank you. You're welcome. You're on the air with Sean right now. Sean, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm fine. Um, I have a question for you. Um, I want to know how you feel about a um, Mormon, a future president being Mormon. And I'm asking because I have a lot of Christian friends who keep telling me that, um, you know, um, just vote for the lesser of two evils. And I myself am thinking, yeah, but why vote for evil, period? So... I just wanted to get your feedback on this and how you feel about it, being ex-Mormon. Oh, my goodness, Shirley. Uh, if you come to the park on Saturday, you're going to hear me rant and rave like a lunatic uh, over this exact topic. But i got to tell you something. The body, uh, the leaders in the body of Christ have sold the soul, and they have endorsed. I'll just put it to you this way. On the ticket, we have a man who says abortion is okay and gay marriage is fine. Right. And if we open up the Bible, the Bible says, nope, that's not true. Okay, and Christians look at that candidate and they say, nope, he's no good. Okay, right. we have another man who says God has a penis and he was once a man and Jesus was a created being. Well, we open that up and we find out that's not true either. But you know, 
he's really a nice guy. He's <laughs> handsome. He's, he's capable of running a business. And we have sold our soul to rock and roll. We have sold our soul to this, this ugliness. And you know what? Christians, I believe, should write in Jesus' name. Do not vote for a president. And just let this country go the way it's going to go. And put our faith and trust in our king and the kingdom that he established and not this one. Thank you so much because that's exactly how I felt. I do too. Spread the word, but it's not going to matter. I mean, one or the other is going to go in, but God knows what he's doing, and he's going he's gonna to work it out. But boy, I tell you, I have never... We were talking about this in 2007, and when Romney was running in 2008, and, uh, and it's just really amazing how shallow Christian faith is. They're afraid to suffer. They're afraid they're going to lose their 501c3 tax-exempt status. What a bunch of exactly, babies. Exactly, exactly, yes. Yeah, it's disgusting. I, I, I oh. totally agree with you. They're afraid that they're going to get shut down because some homosexuals will sue them for not performing a gay marriage. If some homosexuals came and said, perform the gay marriage, Sean, or else we're going to sue you and shut you down, I would almost flip them off. I would say, do what you want. Let the chips fall where they may. I serve God, not man. But we are serving man, not God here. I'm sorry, I'm ranting. I can't take No, this no, time. no. I feel the same way you do. And I'm getting a lot of feedback, like on Facebook, from good friends who are Christians who have. And, and to me, it just seems like they're blind. They're, they're blind. so blind. They're preachers and everything. It's, everything. Yes, the, it's like, what's happening here? The biggest preachers. I mean, T, uh, TBN is having Glenn Beck on there talking about Mormonism. Um, uh, what is happening to this place? I, 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 even, even, I mean, even Norm Geisler, who I completely respect, Dr. Geisler, who I'm saying, go to and hear him speak, he even put on his blog that he supports the Mormon candidate. It's unbelievable what we are doing. What, I, I got to say one more thing, Shirley. Imagine if the Christian body in America unitedly stood up and said, we are not voting for anybody. And we, and we wrote Jesus' name in a, a Several million people wrote Jesus' name in and said, no way are we going to be involved in this charade. But no, we're not. No, no you know, my whole family is on the, the, you know, the same, you know, they feel the same way I do. And I'm talking to friends and I'm like, seriously, what are you people thinking, you yeah. know? It, it just blows me away. So, surely, yeah, I, surely. I, I, yeah. What do you think will happen if there's a, a, a Mormon? I don't know who it would be, but if there's a Mormon in the office of president, what do you think will happen to the Mormon church, like, overseas? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, the, the, the body here in America, we don't care about those people who are ignorant of Mormonism overseas. We'll let Mormonism dominate. Just wait till the Mormon church starts pulling people out of Christian pews. And when pastors start hearing that many of their congregates are converting to Mormonism, then we're going to hear a different tune. But right now, they're voting for their pocketbooks. They're a bunch of cowards. Yes, they are. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Bob and Orem. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. You're on the air, my friend. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Going well. How are you? Okay. Hey, uh, I enjoy watching your show, especially enjoy when the good Mormons call and they're all freaked out. Yeah. Anyway, I thought I'd give them a break and ask you a different question. Um, how do you feel about the Westboro Baptists? Oh, I think it's a shame. Uh, I think it's horrible. I think that they, uh, they're a hyper, uh, uh, 
superlative of, of what we're seeing Christianity do in the body politic today, but I think they have taken it to a far extreme. Uh, all I can say to you, Bob, is when Jesus was on the earth, he was under a Roman government rule, which was far worse than anything we've seen in this country. He never fought against politics. He never did what the Westboro Baptists did. The apostles never went against social evils and tried to stop it. You never hear them talk about any of these social things. All they talked about was sharing Jesus in love. That is what I think, and I don't see that coming from the Westboro Baptists. Yeah, that's, I just can't believe that somebody is supposedly Christian to... That's tough to, it's uh, tough, to, tough to believe. But you know what? People watch this show, Bob, and they say, I can't believe that guy's a Christian. You know, we live in a day and age when there's going to be a lot of bifurcation, trifurcation of all kinds of ideas and thoughts. And so, you know, it's tough. That's why we have this good book. We stick to it, right? Yeah. Amen, my brother. Thanks for calling, Bob. Yeah, hey, take care. Bye-bye. We're going to an anonymous apostate. You're on the air, apostata. Yes, uh, Sean, thank yes. you for uh, taking my call. You're welcome. Hey, uh, real, real quick question. Uh, I, I was born in the, um, you know, in the covenant, uh, under the thumb of the covenant. Uh, but I have a, a quick question on, on what the Bible speaks to about uh, uh, being uh, preordained or predestiny. I know the church uh, uh, speaks to uh, free agency. Yeah. Uh, but, w but what does uh, the Bible talk about, you know, because... Uh, I, 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 I'm not an expert in this area, but I would imagine that, that God is outside of time. So God, you know, pretty much knows what our destiny is, or, or this is what I, I, I think, or, or has been suggested to me, that God is outside of time. So he knows uh, what, what decisions we're going to make before we make them. Yeah. Uh, can, can you speak to uh, preordination? And, and I know that you've heard these words before, uh, preordination or predestiny and or free agency. And, and how, how it, can you kind of compare or contrast yeah. that between Mormon doctrine and, and biblical Christianity? Uh, uh, I know, I, and I apologize in advance because I know it's kind of a heady question. Oh, it's a heady one, but it's okay. You know, we can just take Mormonism right off the table because they believe everything is about man and his choice. So in terms of God's omniscience, om, om, omnipresence, uh, it, it, that does not play in. Their, their idea of foreordination means that God blessed you to be a Mormon when you came to this earth, and it, by your worthiness, you're either going to be that or you're not. So we can take them right off the table. I believe that there is a balance between uh, God. I believe God is sovereign. I believe he will always have his way. But I believe he does that by and through the choices people make. When the nation of Israel was seeking him, he blessed them. And he put them in positions to do his will. When they turned from him, he, he, uh, he uh, cursed them out of love. But that too produced his will. I believe that whatever the individual is going to choose in their free will, whether to recognize God or to renounce God, God in his sovereignty will put things around that believer to fulfill his will. And, 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 and that's how I balance Arminianism, which is essentially a free will tenet, and Calvinism, which is essentially uh, God is sovereign and he determines everything. But it is got a it. heady, heady uh, conversation. Got, 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 got it. So as, as an ex-Mormon, uh, do I have a choice as, uh, to be born again, or is it, is it a mandate? Uh, I mean, if... if 
if, if it happens, it happens, but do I have a choice to be born again, or is it up to God? It's both. God calls all, and, but he is going to do the converting, you see. So it's going to be a, a, your choice, and he is calling, and he will do the converting. But you will, just, you will decide if you receive but, it or but, not. But, but, but it's, not, it's, not a, it's not like going to Burger King and putting in my application and no. getting hired. No. No. You put your application in and you might wait for a couple decades before you get the, the hiring. <laughs> that's very encouraging, Sean. Yeah. Thank but, you. But, but that's not usually how it is. I mean, but you know what? If it is that way, uh, apostate friend, it's because God knows that's what you need. For people who have it right then, it's what they need. And so it's by faith and trust that we sojourn in this path, trusting he will reveal himself when we have said, I want to know. Got it. Hey, uh, uh, real quick, I, I know we're about three minutes away. but We are one minute away. Yeah, did, did we uh, get a chance to uh, go to uh, I'm Dating a Mormon on uh, YouTube? Classic. Uh, I, I, I think I've seen some uh, things of that, but I'm Dating a Mormon. Check it out, everybody. Hey, thanks. I like, look forward to meeting you someday. Hey, love you, Sean. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, can't take that one. We are at, we've got 39 seconds. I got a great email from Rusty. Rusty, I'll be reading that next week. It's really good about the Book of Mormon and the Lamanites. Listen, this Saturday, join us in Spanish Fork at the Good News Celebration. Also this Sunday. Is it this Sunday? Is it this Sunday? No, the 23rd, uh, Dr. Norm Geisler will be speaking at the Grace Bible Church in Sandy. You want to check that out. We love you. The Lord loves you. He calls to all. And he will work with you. He will reveal himself. You just got to say, hey, I want to know. I want to know the truth. So go to him. Ask him. He'll show you. See you next week on Heart of the Matter.